All right, turning your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. After we read the text, I do, before we pray, we're going to pause for a moment, just in silence, right? Just taking, in to- taking this time and opportunity to silence ourselves, to quiet ourselves, to prepare our hearts, to really worship God this morning, even in regard to the words we hear this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7, page 555 in the Pew Bible. Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your heart lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is a time to be silent. There is a time for us to hear what you would have for us. There is a time for us to listen to your word and receive your instruction. So would you even now in this moment prepare our hearts Would you speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever asked an unbeliever, why don't you go to church? Why don't you go to church? And probably the number one answer that you receive is hypocrites. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, have you ever asked a believer why they go to church? There's probably a number of answers you might receive. Perhaps it's tradition. Perhaps it's doing a good deed. This is what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe it's the atmosphere. They just like the environment. They like being around people. Maybe it's fellowship. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's to worship God. This morning, we're going to talk about worshiping God, worshiping God under the sun, on this earth. We're going to talk about worshiping God and how we approach God's presence. As Solomon has investigated on life under the sun, he has observed the vanity of it. And now, he turns his gaze to the temple and to worshiping in God's house. 
He warns us against this casual approach to, that so many people take when it comes to God. So we're going to answer this question this morning. What does it look like for us to worship God when we gather as a church? What should that look like? What are we to do? So first, you can see this in your outline, worshiping God involves listening to God's word. Listen to God's word. Look with me now at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. So Solomon commands the people to guard their steps when they go to the house of God. The house of God here is a, is a reference to the temple. This is the place where God's presence would dwell with his people. So when they approach God's presence during their public time of worship, they were to be intentional and careful in what they do. Because within Israel, they, they too would have people who would, they would go for the wrong reasons, and the hypocrisy was evident. And so Solomon observes this, and he warns them to guard their steps. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Which leads to this question. How are they to approach God's presence in the temple when they gathered publicly for worship? Which is what we do when we gather together here as a church. Now there's, there's a lot we could say about the temple and God's house and from our study of the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the true temple. Right? He is the place where God's presence dwelled fully. Right? And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, if you're trusting in him this morning, you are the temple of the living God. The, the church is the temple because of our union with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers. And so our concern isn't location. It's not the location. It's not the place where we worship, but who and how we worship. We could spend an entire sermon on this. I don't want us to miss the point of this text, though. Okay, so what I'm going to do is, is broaden our application and focus on how we worship God in our church gathering in our building here as a church. So how do we guard our steps? How do we guard our steps when we gather together as a church? Notice verse 1 again, the end of verse 1. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So first, they were to draw near to listen. There is a wise way to approach God, and there is a foolish way to approach God. And this happens even within the church, right? There, there's wise and, and the fool. And we, we want to say to the unbeliever who says, hypocrisy. That's right. We don't go there because of the people. We go there to worship God, right? We don't worship people. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Within the church, when God's people gather together each week to worship God Publicly, There was a wise way, and there was a foolish way. We guard our steps. We worship God publicly in the church when we draw near to listen. When we gather together, one of the things we should expect is to hear from God. Right? God speaks to us through his word. 
There needs to be a receptiveness in our hearts to listen to what God has to say to us in his word. So my question for you is this. Do you come with an expectation to hear from God? Is your heart ready and prepared to worship God when you gather each Sunday morning? We sang about this earlier, didn't we? Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. If you ask the worship team what song Sean, what song Sean wants to sing every week, it's this one. Right? I, sing it every, I want to sing this every single day. Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, to re, as we come to you, to receive the food of your holy word. Right? Do you hear what we're asking there? As we draw near to worship God, we are asking him to speak to us. Silence. Lord, you speak to me. You speak to me through your word. I want to hear it. I want to receive it because I know it shapes us and changes us into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that Christ might be seen today through acts of love and our deeds of faith. So my hope, my hope is that as we come here on Sunday morning, even Wednesday nights, we are prepared and intentional to hear God's word. You should expect to hear God's word on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. That we are prepared and intentional to hear God's word and receive it so that we might obey it. We gather together on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights to listen to the word of God. So there should be a readiness in our hearts to respond to it in faith. Obedience. Obedience is what God desires and not the sacrifice of fools. You see, their, their heart was not in it when they offered their sacrifices, when some offered their sacrifices. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You see, people thought that they could approach God casually and lightly simply by bringing their sacrifices. We just offer up our sacrifice to the Lord. And yet their heart was far from God. They were doing evil when they went to the house of the Lord. So the application then for us is this. Be quick to listen, right? Prepare your heart to hear God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, drawing near to listen doesn't mean we have to be quiet in church. That doesn't mean that we can't talk or shouldn't talk to each other before or after the service. 
Or we can't have music. Oh, I draw, I'm drawing near, near to listen. I can't have music. Or we can't have coffee. No one speaks to each other. That, that's, not, that's not the image that we have here. It's, it's a heart issue, isn't it? It's a heart issue. It's a readiness to hear from the Lord. It's a commitment to obey and to learn from God's Word. We could be quiet and still not listen to God and His Word, couldn't we? I would encourage you as well, if you want to get more out of our Sunday mornings or our Wednesday night gatherings, I would encourage you to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart throughout the week. Listen to God's word and obey it throughout the week. You do that when you come on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. Your heart is ready to worship and listen to what God would have to say to you. So first, worshiping God involves drawing near to listen to God's word. Second, watch what you pray. Watch what you pray. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. So when we come to church, we are to be quick to listen, and now we're to be slow to speak. Right? We're not to be rash with our mouths. We are to let our words be few. Right? We are to draw near to listen, and we are to not be rash with our mouths. The emphasis here is on our words to God, right? uttering before God. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And here's why. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. God is transcendent. He is superior to us. He is in heaven, and we are on earth. He is above the sun, so to speak, right? Solomon has been describing life under the sun. He's above the sun, so to speak. He is the creator, and we are the creature. When we approach God to worship him, we should not think of him as our buddy. He's my buddy. When people in the Bible realized that they were in the presence of God, how did they approach him? Moses hid his face. Exodus 3. When God had spoken to Job, in chapter 40, Job responded, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah chapter 6. Peter, after seeing the miracle of Jesus that Jesus performed when he caught the fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, 
for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke chapter 5. In Revelation 1, when, when John sees Jesus, I fell at his feet, though dead. There is a creator creature distinction which leads to a carefulness with our words when we approach the presence of God. Right? Imagine, imagine this. Maybe you've done this, I don't know. Imagine that you're in the presence of someone famous or someone of someone of significance in our world. Right? Imagine that you're in the you're in the presence of the president of the United States. Rather than giving him a piece of your mind, whether you agree with him or not, he's to be respected, isn't he? And we would probably, I hope, treat him with the dignity and respect for someone that he deserves for someone who holds that kind of office. We probably... Imagine you respected him, right? We probably would be careful with our words, wouldn't we? We'd be careful with our words in his presence. Our words would be few. In a similar way, a far greater way, we are to watch what we say to God because of who he is. He is worthy. He is superior. We are to watch what we pray. Right? This, this section might remind you of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 6 when he taught his disciples how to pray. Jesus said this, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he continues. The idea here is that they were trying to manipulate God with their many words. If I just say a lot of words, I can manipulate God and, and get Him to do what I want Him to do. Right? This is what they would do with their so-called gods. But God, our Father, He knows what we need even before we ask now, the point is not that we can't pray for the same things. Okay, that's not the point. Or have an extended time of prayer, right? We have an extended time of prayer in our, in our services. You might have extended times of prayer in your house. This is not a call to stop praying or discourage you in your prayer life. That's not the point. We are to pray without ceasing we are to have regular times of prayer. Rather, the emphasis is on our hearts, right? In our approach to God. With what we say, our heart is not to be hasty. We are not to be casual and impulsive in our speech. Because, just as too much labor brings dreams, so also many words makes us look foolish. The more we say, the more likely we, more likely we look like a fool. We are to be careful in our speech, and we are be, to be careful in our approach to God. Worshiping God under the sun involves praying with reverence. Now, 
We aren't more spiritual if we have long prayers. So don't be discouraged if you have short prayers. right? And don't be discouraged if you're not exactly sure how to communicate what's on your heart to God. Right? Come to God in prayer knowing who He is, that He is your Father in heaven. Cast all your anxieties on Him, and He will care for you. Third, third, keep your promises. We see this in verses 4 through 6. Look with me there now at 4 through 6. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Solomon, continuing with words, right? He now addresses the vows and promises that people make in God's presence. Sometimes our mouths lead us into sin, and we make promises without seriously considering the implications of it. Right? And that's what's happening here. That's what happened when God's people made vows. Right? A vow is a promise. It is a, is a pledge to do something. Right? We're familiar with wedding vows. In the Bible, God's people made vows. They would make promises to the Lord. They would offer something to the Lord in exchange for something that He might give in return. We might be reminded of two instances in the Old Testament. Jephthah's vow in Judges 11. Here's what it says. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, now notice what he says, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. We've studied this before. We know the tragedy that resulted from this vow, from these careless words as he offered up his daughter. Obviously, better had he not made the vow at all. Or in a more positive light, you might be thinking of of Hannah in in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She had no children. and In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, if you give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she conceived and bore a son, named him Samuel, and then she gave him to the Lord. She kept her promise. The problem that Solomon was observing is that people would make these vows to the Lord and then not keep them. Right? They'd find ways out of them, very much like the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus rebukes in Matthew chapter 23. Perhaps they might go, oh, there's a mistake. It was a mistake. And Solomon encourages God's people to keep their promises to God without delay. It's actually better if they had not made any promises in the first place. It'd be better if they had not said anything than to make a promise and not fulfill it. Very similar to Ananias and Sapphira in 
in Acts 5, they would have been better off not promising to give of their land, of their proceeds. They weren't mandated to give what they sold. But they lied about what they gave. And they kept some, some money back for themselves. They kept some back for themselves. And God was angry with them because they had tested the Spirit of God. And God punished them for their sin. There were consequences to their actions. When we say careless things without action to follow, we reveal that we are no better than a fool. It might reveal the hypocrisy that's in our hearts because we are using our words ultimately for our own benefit and for our own gain. And this impacts the people around us. I've heard of several situations of people around that I have talked to that, that this happened to. They saw the hypocrisy. They saw the carelessness within the church, and they just left. I don't want any part of that. And God is opposed to this too. So it frustrates unbelievers, and it frustrates the Lord as well. He is angry with this. He is opposed to this. Perhaps you've mistakenly made promises that you have not kept. Perhaps you've come to church to worship God, right? perhaps in the past, and God speaks to you. You're listening to his word. You're receiving it. And then you said to the Lord, this is what I'm going to do for you, Lord. I make this promise to you today, Lord. Or, maybe you've arrived in the presence of God with a lot on your heart and mind. And you approached God knowing that he hears you. You've said something like this. Lord, this is what I'm going to do for you. If you just do this or that for me, if you just heal me, if you just get me out of this situation in my life, if you just do this for me, then, then I promise I'll commit this or that to you. Perhaps you've done this. I just want to encourage you this morning to keep your promises. But if you've failed on this, which I know I have, I'm sure, I want to encourage you to confess this to the Lord. Lord, I have sinned with my words. I've made promises I couldn't keep, and I can't keep them either. Will you forgive me of my sin? Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And God's word to you this morning is this. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for.
God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that you and I deserve for every careless word we've said, for every careless thing that we've done, for every promise that we've failed to carry out, for every time that we have failed to listen and obey God's word. Jesus died on the cross for us. He died on the cross for all those wrong reasons we've come to church. But he died on the cross so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. He died so that we might live a life that pleases him. Now, fourth and finally, this is short and quicker. Fear God. Look with me at verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. The dominant theme that we've seen in Ecclesiastes is this, the fear of God, is to fear God. We saw this back in chapter 3, and we see it in the conclusion of the book. In chapter 12, verse 13, the, here's what he says. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So Solomon then in this section is contrasting our many words. We say a lot of words. And the emptiness and vanity of them. He contrasts that, our many words, with the fear of the Lord. Just as many dreams and visions people might have are empty and futile, and there's no substance to them, right? It's vanity, it's vapor, it's breath. So also, when words multiply, people can talk a good talk, but how is their walk? So Solomon commands us to fear God. The way of the wise worship God by fearing Him. Which means, that, and we've talked about this before, which means that we stand in awe of God. We give Him the honor and respect that God alone deserves. To fear God does not mean that we live afraid of God, but that we have a reverence for Him that doesn't drive us away from him, but it drives us to him. So, as we conclude, when we gather together each Sunday and Wednesday nights as a church, let's worship God by drawing near to listen to his word. Let's worship God through our prayers and our dependence upon him by being careful with our words by keeping our promises, and by standing in awe of who he is. Let's strive to worship God with reverence. Let's strive each Sunday and Wednesday to come with a desire to hear God's word. Right. So even as you prepare each week, prepare to worship the Lord when you come here. So that when we gather together 
our shared adoration of God will be authentic, it will encourage one another, and it will glorify God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we stand in awe of your power. We stand in awe of your holiness. We stand in awe of your justice and righteousness. We stand in awe of your mercy and grace. We stand in awe of your love. We stand in awe of your wrath. We stand in awe of who you are. Would you continue each week to prepare our hearts to worship you publicly and privately? That we would come here to hear your word so that we might obey it. Might you be the passion of our hearts and lives. Might you enable us to proclaim your greatness and worth. In Jesus' name, amen.